Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good evening, everyone. It is Thursday, February the 9th. 2023. It is currently 9.59 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. Well, I know it's in just a few seconds. It will be 10 p.m. Central Time, so it's kind of a late-night edition of the Theology Central podcast, kind of a late-night episode, and I hope that this will be beneficial and you will find it at least interesting, informative, and hopefully edifying, but it involves YouTube comments. Now, right there doesn't sound like that's going to be very edifying. Okay, if if I can't, I can't speak for everyone else, I can't speak for everyone else, but at least for me, uh, YouTube has been a place where typically the comments are not so positive. It's kind of gone through these ups and downs, right? There, there was there was at, at one point it was just like I think every person who was a Seventh Day Adventist showed up on our YouTube account. And then I think we had one as Pentecostals or non-Trinitarians show up. Then they kind of went away. Then it kind of just went like nobody was com- commenting. Then we had some who commented all the time, very positive, very friendly. And then we had some just really like kind of drive-by comments where you don't really give them any attention. You can just tell it's just like they're going to drive-by, throw out an insult, and they're just going to keep on going. So there's no point in commenting because they've already moved on with their life. So you just... You just kind of, you know, what do you do? How do you, how do, how do you handle it? And, and, and that, and the same thing with my email inbox. I mean, sometimes I'm always trying to debate. What do I do? What do I do? What do I do? What do I do? You know, when to respond, when not to respond. But there are times that you're like, okay, I think, I think this could be beneficial for everyone, not only to hear my answer, but to hear the comments, to hear the questions, to hear the perspective by being put forth by the person writing the comments. Now, whenever I address comments, as you know, I never give the name of the individual because I'm not here to attack or to embarrass or to shame or to do anything like that. My goal is whenever I decide to address the comments online or to address an email online, it's because one, I'm just going to be honest, I, I'm not a big fan of just sitting there trying to type out this long philological reply, especially when I have a microphone you know, right up the stairs and a studio. It's just, and, and I mean, that's what I do. I do audio podcasts. So it's it's much more easier for me to engage it verbally, to, to talk about it. So to me, it's just, it's much more natural. It's easier. I'm more in my element than sitting there going, okay, wait, did I spell that right? Okay, wait, is that punctuated right? Wait, okay, do I need a comma? That, okay, I don't know. Just keep going. And then, and then, and then not only that, are they going to understand are, are they going to really understand my the, the emotion behind it are they going to misunderstand are they going to are going are they going to see me being condescending when I'm not being condescending are they going to inter- interpret something as being sarcastic when I'm not being sarcastic are they going to interpret something as being arrogant when I'm not being arrogant and hopefully when I'm speaking they may they may get a different sense of the emotion behind it, hopefully. Now, I mean, there's just as much danger that I come across speaking in a way that doesn't convey 
what I feel as well. I mean, with the communicating clearly, not only what you're trying to address, but the emotion and, and what you're really intending behind it is always a, a difficult art. And, and people, we mess up in text, we mess up in email, we mess up sometimes, well, in front of a microphone, but it's just easier for me to address it. So I'm just going to be honest. That's a lot of times why I address it online or when I address it on an on, on-air on episode, a live broadcast, why I address it in a podcast episode instead of addressing it uh, online in a, in a text message or an email or something along those lines. I think so. I think I've had one person got very offended that I responded to their email online, even though I did not in any way, shape or form, give their name. And I even left some information out. They were very offended. They did not like that in any way, shape, or form. So I try, I try to tell people I will respond. In this case, I told the person I'll try to respond to this uh, possibly in a live broadcast. So that's one of the reasons I, I do that. But I, I do try to be cautious and careful, and I never give anyone's name because it, the goal is not to attack. So that's one reason why I'm, I'm, I'm doing it on a live broadcast. I'm doing it in a podcast episode because it's just easier for me and I feel like I'm more in my element. Number two, I do think... Whatever your objections or your argument or your perspective that you're bringing up, I guarantee you there's other people listening who had the exact same thoughts, questions, and they just didn't feel like typing them out. But they may be interested in hearing their perspective engaged with, even though they don't want to take the time to write it out or to to contact me. So I, I still th I think it's beneficial. And I think it's beneficial for those who may be more in agreement with me just to hear someone articulate a different perspective. So those are some of the reasons I like to do this this way because I think it benefits others. I, I think it's interesting. I think it's, it's just much easier for me to address it this way. But, <laughs> but it, it is interesting how there's been kind of a slow steady change in me throughout my Christian life. There was a time earlier or when I was younger that the debate, the conflict, the controversy, I kind of thrived on that a little bit, right? Because one, controversy, debate, it, it leads to more numbers. It leads to, it leads to more streams, more, more reads on your blog or all the different, you know, different things I've been involved in, in my Christian life from cassette, recording cassettes to online uh, sermons, to blogs, to all the different things that I have done in my life. Um, I, I do know, I mean, it, it doesn't, it take, it doesn't take anyone more than a couple of minutes to figure out the more controversial the topic is, right? the more sensational, the more scandalous, the more the debate rages, right? The more people click into here, right? I mean, I can go back to the early days of Dr. James White and some of his debates or, you know, Radio Free Geneva when he was, you know, reviewing audio of people who are not reformed and, and you know, he's tearing them apart and the people are like, well, how are they going to respond? Or if he was responding to something that a Catholic ministry said and then, then the Catholics would respond and it was always like, it almost was like, I hate to say it, it was almost entertainment at times. And, and I would catch myself, you know, not only wanting to, to kind of be like that, but finding great entertainment in it. And I'm not saying that there's never any benefit or edification from it, but I just know that there were times I kind of like, yeah, I'm ready for the, I'm ready to debate. I'm ready to fight. I'm ready to argue. 
But as I've mature, I hopefully I've matured spiritually. I don't know. Maybe I haven't matured uh, spiritually. But as I've gotten older, maybe it's has nothing to do with spiritual growth. Maybe it's just maturity, emotional maturity, whatever the case may be. Well, I I do think there's a theological reason for it, but I'll I'll explain kind of where I am today and maybe give the theological reason. I kind of came to a point that all the debating and all the arguing and all the fighting, I just grew tired of it and just sick of it and just fed up with it because it seems that's all that happens in the world of Christianity is fighting and arguing and disagreeing and disagreeing and disagreeing. And then the more I, and theologically, the more I begin to realize, not only from my study of church history, just looking at the church, modern history, even to the present, looking at how Christians respond on social media, I started realizing the futility of it. And almost like I just want to scream, meaningless, 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 all is meaningless. Because 2,000 years of church history, what do we agree on? Literally, what do we agree on? I mean, li- I mean, you. whenever I say that, people are like, oh, we agree on a lot. A, a lot. Really? Christians don't agree on baptism. <laughs> we don't agree on the Lord's Supper. We don't agree on the proper church structure and the proper church government. We don't even agree on salvation. I mean, you say, yes, we do. No, we don't. You've got everything from, quote unquote, easy believism to free grace to lordship to Calvinist to Arminian to semi-Pelagian to Pelagian. I mean, you've got every all over the place. There's just so much we disagree on that. You can keep your, your salvation is eternally secure. You can lose it. And it's just like. Fight, 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 fight. You should preach this way. No, you should preach this way. No, you should do that. No, a pastor shouldn't wear those kind of clothes. No, the pastor can wear those kind of clothes. You need this kind of music. No, you need this kind of music. No, you need to do this. No, you need to do this. No, you need to. And it's just on and on and on and on and on and on. And then being a pastor, I mean, how many times have had people get mad, get upset, leave, get mad, get up. And you're just like, you know what? It's just, just, hey, just stay and believe whatever you want because I don't care anymore. I know you're like, man, that's a horrible attitude. But at some point, you're just like, it does. It just everyone's going to believe what they want to believe anyway. And so I've grown kind of tired of it. And I don't. I love to discuss the different perspectives. I love to kind of like on one hand, I still love to be right there in the midst of the conversation and the struggle and the debate. But I kind of approach it now. From the perspective, like, like, I don't want to be on anybody's team, right? I don't want people to say, you're this or you're this, and it's my team versus your team. I'm like, you know what? It's like I walked off the football field. It's like I kind of just took off the jersey, threw the football down, like, you know what? I'm done with this. I'm not wearing your colors. I'm not fighting that color. I'm not, I'm I'm not, I'm, uh, you know, I'm walking out of the gang. I'm no longer, I I don't care if you wear red. I don't care if you wear wear blue. I don't care. I don't care the name of your gang. I don't care the name of your team. I don't care the name of your tribe. I just want to find truth. And I just want to struggle through the Christian life, trying to figure it out. I do believe that there is truth and and there is error, and I believe we have to stand against the error and fight to figure that out. But I also know this, that everyone thinks that they have the truth, and they think anyone who disagrees with them is wrong. So I just, I've kind of grown so just, like, whatever. Okay, here we go. So that means sometimes I'll just look at certain comments. I'm like, you know what? There's just no point. 
Like here, it's just another fight. It's just, and I, and I, I'm not, it's almost like I'm not going to take the bait. I'm not going to take the bait. But in this particular case, this person was much more respectful. And even though a different perspective, I felt like that, okay, I can engage in this and it will be beneficial to everyone. And I don't know, many of you may have grown tired of it all as well within Christianity. I mean, just spend a day. Christian Twitter. I mean, give me a break. What in the world is that? Christian Facebook. I mean, just anything on Christian social media. You and some don't even do that. Just go to the Christian post, right? And read the articles and then go down and read the comments. It's just like, you're wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong. You're not even saved. You're not even, you don't have the Holy Spirit. You're blinded by Satan. And you're just like, what in the world, man? It's like, you're just like, Hey, hey, you guys fight. I'll be over here by myself trying to figure the Christian life out because I know you all think you've got it figured out, but obviously nobody does. So, uh, but I, but I do hold to like the London Baptist Confession of Faith. I, you know, I do like, I do hold to right theology, but I just know sometimes the debate is just, uh, it's just, it's just so, I don't know. But I thought tonight, I know I've now spent 13 minutes just talking, but I thought tonight I would do this. I was just kind of sitting here in the studio, just kind of like, you know, I'm sorry, I'm hitting the microphone. Um, I was just kind of sitting here going, you know, so what do I do this evening? And I thought, you know, I could watch something. I could listen to music. I know what I'll do. I, I think I'll try to address some of these YouTube comments. So I hope you're ready. Someone said this ought to be interesting they probably have already fallen asleep because they probably are like 13 minutes and he still hasn't gotten to the point. They probably are already tired. But I just like trying to explain that context because uh, I've, I've labeled this, depending on which platform you're listening, you don't know this. Some of the platforms you see that I labeled this part one because, I, um, because I'm probably going to do at least two parts, maybe three parts trying to address because I got a lot of comments. And someone on Sermon uh, Sermons 2.0 app just posted a comment recently who I think – wasn't completely happy with my response to uh, the Grammys, okay? So uh, I don't know if it got posted on the app, but I, I got notified. So uh, I may try to address that as well. Just just try to get all the comments out of the way. And so here we go. All right, I'm going to open up my iPad. I don't know where you are this evening, what you're doing. Just sit back and let's, let's, just, let's just dive in. Are you ready? Okay, these comments that I'm going to be addressing tonight are all found on YouTube under the message, Dr. Law and Dr. Grace. Now, that message, uh, now I know those on YouTube, it's, it's not always easy to navigate on YouTube, but anyone using the Sermons 2.0 app and look up Us Theology Central, or they download the Church O-N-E app, Church One, the Church O-N-E app and search for Theology Central and choose us. You can find all of our content is broken down into these nice series. We are working on creating playlists on, on YouTube. It just takes a while, and I, I I don't always do my job. So the person helping me out sometimes has to tell me that I'm not doing my job. But okay, all right, that's neither here nor there. All right, here we go. Um, if you will notice on, on the Church One app or the Sermons 2.0 app, we have a series called Understanding Law and Gospel. Now, this is very important for the person who gave the comments because they heard the message, Dr. Law and Dr. Grace, and they commented. But Dr. Law and Dr. Grace is not necessarily made to be standalone. 
It's a part of the bigger series, Understanding Law and Gospel, and that series currently has 69 messages. That represents well over 69 hours of teaching, discussing, struggling, questioning. So a lot of the things I say in regards on the mess in the message, Dr. Law and Dr. Grace, a lot of it flows from the 69 plus hours of work. So some of your thoughts and ideas may have been already addressed previously. So, I, but I would like to at least point that to you if you want a, I mean, and we're no, nowhere even close to done with the series. I mean, the series is going to be well into the hundreds of messages. It may be 200 before we're done. It's going to be a long series. Uh, but we're, And it's really a part of our series on Romans. So because we kind of got to Romans 10, and then we just kind of brought this series into, in, into the Romans series. So there's a lot of content dealing with all of this. But for those who don't know, the message Dr. Law and Dr. Grace was a review of by a very, 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 very famous sermon by Lester Roloff, where he tells the story about these two doctors, all right? And he, uh, in certain parts of the story, it sounds so good. You seem to be getting the idea of what the law is and what the law can and can't do, how we need grace, how we need the gospel, how we are saved by what Jesus did. But then it kind of goes this extra step and almost turns the gospel not into the fact that we are saved by an imputed righteousness, but salvation really is almost the removal of the sinful nature. That in salvation, the sinful nature is taken out of you. Now you're given a heart for God. Now you're, and, and, and it almost goes to almost an infused kind of concept, which we have talked about for a very, very, very long time. Again, the Protestant Reformation. The major distinction here is Catholicism t- taught we are saved and uh, salvation involves an infused righteousness where the non-Catholics, the reformers, those protesting, pro- the Protestants were like, no, no, we are saved by an imputed righteousness, a foreign righteousness, or as Luther would say, an alien righteousness. So I'm very much a, I mean, I, I don't, I, I don't, I don't apologize I put as someone who went to a Catholic university to work on a degree in Catholic theology, clearly understanding the Catholic system, and I don't agree with the Catholic system. And I know that the other way of thinking is a hundred miles, a thousand, a million miles apart from the Catholic view, then I want to maintain that distinction. I don't want to just be basically Catholic, but not Catholic. If I want to go back to the Catholic understanding of an infused righteousness, I would just go back to the Catholic, I would just, I mean, I'm not go back to, I mean, we, as a Protestant, we should just all return in a sense to the Catholic church since they protested and came out of the Catholic church. I have never been Catholic, but you get the idea. We, we would just return to Rome, as they would like to say, uh, that because, well, we would just be going with that. So I'm very much sensitive to when I hear something like, whoa, 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 that's infused righteousness. And a lot of times Christians look at me like, well, what's the big deal? And w- which is kind of shocking when someone doesn't understand the significance of infused righteousness. And I'm not talking about the person who made comments on YouTube because I don't know what they know or don't know. I'm talking just my other in- in- interactions with people. They just don't really seem to care. Who cares if it's infused righteousness? Big deal. And I'm like, I, I don't know. Maybe it kind of destroys salvation by grace alone through faith alone because of Christ alone. 
So the series is 69 sermons long, but here we go. Here is the first message I received today under the, under the episode, Dr. Law and Dr. Grace. Here we go. And I quote, you remain with a sinful nature, but surely you cannot say that the Bible promises no power for an inward change. Here we go. All right. I absolutely understand that the normal way of thinking within the evangelical world at large is that when we got saved, we got power. We received some kind of power that will produce some kind of inward change. Now, here's what I always like to say. Okay, whatever power you claim we have, whatever power you believe we've been invested you know, invested with, whatever power you believe we are now and dwelt with, whatever power you think we have, we all have to agree that we do not describe that power in any way, shape, or form that would seem to imply that we can be without sin, that we can be perfect, we can be holy, and we can be obedient. In other words, whatever, however you describe this power, you have to acknowledge, well, it's a limited power. It can't get me to perfection. Because, because either one, either one, you would have to re- re- state the sinful nature is removed and we get power. Or you would say we have power and a sinful nature, but I mean, well, you would either have to say we have power and the old nature is gone, therefore we can be perfect. Because I mean, if we have power and the old nature is gone, perfection would have to be the logical conclusion. Or you have to say we have power, but it's limited and we have the sinful nature, therefore we cannot get to perfection. So then whatever power you have, you're already limiting it. But Christians many times describe this power almost as if they clearly are implying we can be perfect. We can say yes to God and no to sin, but then they'll come along later and go, but, which basically cancels everything they just said, said, you can't be perfect, you can't be, well, then it's limited. So if the argument is, no, you, you need to believe that we have limited power, okay, okay, I mean, if you want to fight for limited power, then by all means, and I'm not, and, and I'm just speaking this in general, not specifically to the person emailing, because this, this comment on YouTube is representative of hundreds of emails that have basically tried to make, we've got power, we've got power. So I'm just addressing the issue in general, not the person directly, just the issue. So here's my thing to everyone who wants to argue you have power. Okay. I mean, look, here's the thing. You believe you have power. Okay, great. You have to admit the power is limited. So you can argue you have limited power. Why do you care if I believe it or don't believe it? Like, like what, what difference does it make? Because I know people who believe that they have complete power. They have almost basically, they think this power is so great. And I've li- watched their lives. Their lives are no more godly, no more holy than me who greatly questions said power. I've seen their marriages implode. I've seen, I've seen everything. I've seen porn addiction. I've seen, I've seen, you just name it. And I've got power. I've got, okay, okay. You got power. You got power, man. Go prove it. My thing is if you got the power, well, and I'm not saying this sarcastically. Great. Go, go be better than all of us who maybe, maybe we don't have said power. 
I just know power or no power, Christians sin, 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 sin. Fight, fight, fight. Argue, argue, argue. Divide, divide, divide. And we, I mean, I mean, just look at the church of Corinth. I mean, if they've got power, man, it, it. So people, some people say, well, they got power, but people don't want to use it. Well, then my thing is, how come the power can't overcome my not wanting to use it? I mean, the power can't get me to perfection, but you think the power could at least get over my desire not to want to use the power. And how come the power hasn't changed my want to? So, I mean, then you just have so many questions, but okay, that's fine. So you believe that, uh, he, he says, you remain with a sinful nature, but surely you cannot say that the Bible promises no power for an inward change. Although we do not measure our trust and performance or any fruit born, we still know the power of the gospel will produce a measure of inward change. Okay, now, I, I we, him and I, this, now I'm direct, speaking directly to the person who wrote this comment. We are in agreement that we do not, as he says, we do not measure or trust in performance or any fruit born. So he's like, hey, we don't trust, we don't try to measure or trust in this change for our salvation. We don't try to measure it. And, you know, we are in agreement there, right? Because I believe my only hope is to look to the imputed righteousness, not to any supposed righteousness that shows up in my life. And the reason I would say don't look to the righteousness that shows up in my life, that even any righteousness that shows up is still tainted somehow, some way, some shape, some form with, my sinful nature, all right? But please note, they says, we still know the power of the gospel will produce a measure of inward change. Hey, the gospel is gonna produce a measure of inward change. It's not gonna be, so there's a change, but but it's, it's, there's just, it's just some. Like that, that, that's where it becomes so subjective. Well, I mean, there's gonna be change. I mean, it's not gonna be perfect. It's not gonna be complete, but there's gonna be something. And how do you measure that? How do we typically measure it? Well, we measure it because we're like, I used to do this and I don't do this. Okay. I know people who became Mormon who used to do this and stopped doing this. I knew people, knew people in the military who converted to Islam who used to do this and stopped doing this. I know people who were atheists who decided I'm going to stop doing this and started and changed. I saw, I've seen people in Alcoholics Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous. I've seen people go to counseling. I've seen people produce all kinds of change in their life and not even need the gospel. So when we say that there's change, I mean, how do you measure that? How do you measure that? See, for the Christian, any change, God did it. But okay, well, what about all the, the people in other faiths who changed? So we would have to acknowledge that there's some level of change is even possible, even in the unregenerate. Now, obviously, we would say the change in a Christian is different, but why is it different? Well, we would say, hopefully, our change is motivated by our gratitude for what God has done for us, right? That change hopefully flows from the fact that we have a change of mind about sin and about God. Yes. That we want to do what is right. But again, if, if you want to believe there that the gospel brings some kind of measure of change, you're just arguing it's not, there's some power there to change us. And I'm like, okay, well, you know, 
Like to me, why, why fight about it? You believe you've got power? Great. Then just use that power and be more godly than me. Be more godly. Be so godly inwardly. Not, and I, when I say godly, I'm not talking just some external piety where you look like, you know, like the Pharisees where you clean up the outside of the tomb and you look so good to everyone. I want you to, whoever claims to have the power, you just look to your own inward life, your own thoughts, your own motivations, and just see how godly you're, and, and compare yourself not to others, compare yourself to God's word, and just be honest with yourself. And maybe, maybe at some point, someone will come to you going, man, you've got obviously a power that I don't have. And then you can tell them how to get said power. I mean, literally, that's, that's my, like, I have no desire to debate it. If you believe you got a power, great. That's great. Then, then use it. By all means, use it. I just, I've been a Christian for a long time. And I've heard lots of claims of power. All right, here we go. It seems to me that you're saying he claimed to love perfectly, but if you claim he literally has no love at all, then you don't then don't you deny the power of grace under the fear of calling it legalism. All right. Now, I don't know exactly which part that it's being referred to in that particular sermon. So, here's let me just try to explain. My issue is, and hopefully I can articulate this, and I think the person listening, or if they're still listening, I think, they, they, I think they've listened to enough that they would be able to probably articulate this. I think people in my church would be able to know what I'm getting ready to say. A lot of this debate comes down to language that is used, right? So, for example, when someone says, okay, now that you're saved, you have power. And usually it will go, I'm going to paraphrase, but these words are, are taken from sermons and books and Bible college and seminary and all the different places I've been taught these kinds of things. It goes, it goes basically something like this. All right. Okay, good. The person is still with me. So they probably know what I'm about to say. My struggle here is one more of language really than of reality. Let me, and let me try to articulate this. Over and over and over I hear in sermons, that now that you are a Christian, you have been set free from the power of sin. Okay, well, like complete freedom. They will say, now this is not speaking of us positionally. They will say this is true of us practically. If you are in Christ, you're a new creature. The old has passed away. All things have become new. Now that you are a Christian, you have the power to say no to sin. You have the power to say yes to God. Now, when you articulate it that way, when you articulate it that way, you, you, you now have a heart that loves God. You now have a heart that loves your neighbor. When you say things, when you add all of these kinds of descriptions to get all these descriptors together, you cannot argue that you're making it sound that not only is perfection possible, it's plausible. So my problem is, as we describe, you're free. Well, if I'm free, See, that's the thing. The minute you say I'm free from sin, then you have to say perfection is attainable. Because if you say uh, perfection is not attainable, then I'm not free because sin still controls me. I may have a, you may think I have a longer leash, but sooner or later, it's going to yank on my neck, pull me back and go, sorry, you can't be, you still can't be perfect. You still can't be holy. You're still going to be a sinner. 
And not only that, the way that's described, you almost, the only way to describe that, you would have to remove the old nature from everyone. I mean, if you quote, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature, the old is gone, all things have become new, right? Well, guess what? That would require the old nature to be completely gone. Well, that's not true, practically. So if you say in Christ, you're a new creature, the old is passed away, all things have become new. That is true in my position, the problem is Christians use this language that seems to be like, you can love God. Okay, well, okay, what do you mean? I can love God perfectly? Well, no, you can't love God perfectly. You can love your name. Well, not perfectly. Okay, well, you can, you can, you can say no to sin perfectly. Well, no, you can't say no. You can say yes to God. Well, I mean, not perfectly. You, you, the problem is they never, they are, they, they describe it in such a way that any person listening, you're like, it's almost like they sell it. But then at the very end, they're like, see the fine print. And the fine print says, well, you're still going to sin. You still have a sinful nature and you still can't be perfect. But, 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 but you've been set free. You have power. You're a new creature. I mean, you're not really a new creature. That's my problem. That's my problem. Is if you're going to describe whatever you think we have, whatever power we have, you have to describe that power in a a way that still clearly articulates this truth. You still have an old nature. You can't be perfect. You can't be sinless. And you're still going to sin. Now, you, you, those who argue for the power then can try to debate what that power means and what it does and what it doesn't do. I'm just trying to argue the way it's described, maybe not specifically in that sermon, but in this general, I mean, if you go through all of those hours and hours of us discussing this subject, you know, almost 70 hours of discussing this subject, you would see and hear why, and all of the sermon reviews that I've done that deals with this kind of thing, over and over, the sermons are like, you can do it, you can do it, you can do it, you can, well, no, I mean, not really. Well, what do you mean? What do you mean? Is it power? I mean, what kind of power is it? So he says, um, it seems that you're saying he claimed to love perfectly. But if you claim he literally has no love at all, then don't you deny the power of grace under the fear of calling it legalism? Here's what I know. Here's what I know. We are called to love God. First and foremost, that, that call to love God is a command. It's a command. Love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul. That is law. Law condemns us, right? Meaning we will never love God with all of our heart, mind, body, and soul. We will never fulfill that in any way, shape, or form. You may say, well, we'll love God some. We'll love God imperfectly. Okay, well, then you can describe an imperfect love. Is it love acceptable to God? Like how, like you have to try to measure an imperfect love. I think human love is typically not, not, I think it's usually completely not perfect because there's selfishness built into it, right? And well, that makes it not a perfect kind of love. So here's what I know. I'm commanded to love God. I will never love God the way it's commanded, but Christ Jesus loved the father perfectly and his love and obedience to that command to love is imputed to me. So in Christ, I do love the father perfectly. In practice, Whatever love is there, how it manifests, how much of it manifests, what's there, not there, I just know it's imperfect. And I know that it will never meet God's standard. 
So he's like, so I'm saying if you're, when you, when, when a Christian describes now that I'm a Christian, I can love God. They have to at least acknowledge not perfectly. And he says, if I claim to have no love at all, then don't you deny the power of grace under the fear of calling it legalism. Here's what I know. I just know that whatever love we have, it's always imperfect. Now, if you want to say, well, an imperfect love proves the power of grace and the power of God, then okay. That's, if you claim we have the power, you have to be the one to measure it. I, I can't measure it. I know that we're supposed to love. I know I fall short of it. Thank goodness for Jesus Christ and his imputed righteousness. I know that love is a fruit of the spirit. So I know it's supposed to be there. I desire it to be there. I want it to be there. I try to confess anytime I don't show the right kind of love. I try to, I try to confess when I know that I fall short in it. But how do you measure it? I, I don't know. So that, that's what this always comes down to is those who want to believe we have a power. Like, how do you measure it? There, well, I love, I like, I don't know how you measure it because you know that you have to acknowledge there's no, I mean, unless you believe that Christians love God with all their heart, mind, body, and soul. And I just don't believe that's true. I think we fall short all of it all the time. And it's not even about me. It's not even about my fear of calling it legalism. So I'm not, I'm not really having a fear of calling it legalism. I, I think this is important. My concern is just reality and honesty, right? My, my struggle is when Christians claim a power that reality clearly shows they don't have, or they claim a power and then backtrack later saying, well, I mean, you can't really be perfect. I mean, there's a limit to it. So my thing is not a fear of legalism. It's a fear of denying reality. It's a fear of Christians pretending that we love with a correct kind of love when clearly we do not. It's not even about legalism to me. It's about denying reality. Here's my reality. I love Sometimes that love is very much more be for me, not for the person I love. And I've got to be, and, and that's bad. But if we have to pretend because we claim to have, see, I think sometimes claiming to have the power creates the, the, the mindset of pretending instead of being much more real going, man. There's a lot of selfishness corrupting my love. I mean, read 1 Corinthians 13. <laughs> I mean, come on. A lot of Christians may, may throw that on a card on, you know, Valentine's Day and, and say, look, you know, I love you like this. I wish I, wish I could say that. I know I long to. Let me read it to you. Um, love suffereth long. And is kind, love envieth not, love vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, does not be behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, think no evil, rejoice not in iniquity, but rejoice in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Now, and maybe you can be convinced that you've got the power to pull that off. 
Now, I agree that, and I think this person will agree, well, well, just because we can't do it perfectly doesn't mean that there's no love at all. Okay, well, th- th- maybe, but even the love that's there, how much of it is a, is a, is a wrong kind of love? We don't demand or need fruit to a certain level, but it does happen or we deny the power of God. So he says, okay, we don't demand or need fruit to a certain level. Hey, we don't demand it. Or in other words, we don't demand that if you don't have enough fruit or don't have this, you won't be saved. But he says, but he says, we don't demand it, but it does happen or we deny the power of God. He's like, hey, hey, it does happen or we deny the power of God. Now I could just ask this question. Well, wait a minute. So, if we're going to acknowledge the power of God, why isn't God's power that's supposedly there good enough to get us to perfection? I mean, God is omnipotent, the creator of heaven and earth. He brought everything into existence. He can raise the dead. That power can't get me to perfection. Now, you could argue that power is never designed to get you to perfection. Okay, so then the power is there, but it can't get me to perfection, but it can get me something, but we can't really articulate exactly how much. Again, if you want to believe the power is there, then use it. I mean, I've had this discussion so many times that people can Great, you've got the power. Good. Go, go. I, I, I always say, don't argue with me. Just go do it. Just go live it out. Go show everyone. Just go do, do a reality television show and just film yourself 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Oh, and make sure you share every thought that comes through your mind, every thought, everything that you're feeling. I want it all out in the open. And I think you would be like, whoa, man, I don't want everyone to see all of this. But, 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 but there's power. So then we grab onto like, well, I mean, I used to be the, any change. And I just, I just, I, I don't, but I mean, Hey, look, that's fine. All, all I'm arguing for is don't create a false idea that you have all of this power to get you to basically perfection and then somehow backtrack out of it. Don't. And of course, now this person agrees with me. The person writing this comment seems to be in perfect agreement with me. Don't come around and say, hey, if unless you do this, this, and this, and this, you're not saved, because that's that's looking to my actions to be saved and not the uh, finished work of Jesus Christ. They go on to say this. Fruit isn't necessary, but to say it can happen, but but to say it can happen is not law. Righteousness, now, okay, but okay, to say that fruit, okay. Uh, but to say it can happen is not law. Okay, now I agree. I agree. To say to say that um, fruit can happen, I do agree that's not law language. To say it can happen. To say, do this, do that, that is law language. I mean, that's just the definition of law. Any scripture that says, do this, do this, don't do this, don't do this, that is law. And that's not something to be like, oh, that's bad. No, that just tells me it's going to show me how much I fall short of it, right? And I can point to Christ who didn't fall short of it. And I I do meet those standards in Christ Jesus. 
But just to say that it can happen, that you you can have these things in your life, as long as it says you can do this. Well, see, even that I got to be careful with. Okay. If you, if you say it may happen, now if you say it can happen, you've already articulated, you seem to have articulated in your comments that you're saying it can, but it won't be perfect. So even that can is limited. You can do better. You just can't do perfectly. You can do, but how do you measure? Like, it's so subjective. And again, even if the, if, even if the external seems to improve, it doesn't mean the, mean, it doesn't mean the internal improve. That was the whole conflict Jesus constantly had with the Pharisees. Right? You clean up the outside of the cup. You clean up the outside of the tomb. So even if you clean everything up externally, that doesn't even mean that you, you've accomplished anything inwardly. So when you say it can happen, you would have to say it can happen some. It can't, it can't be perfect, but it can happen some. So you just have to be fair about your saying, I mean, some of these things can happen and you have power, but limited power, limited ability. Because if you say full power, full ability, well, then perfection would be the natural thing you would have to go to. And now this person said, righteousness is both imputed and infused, or Christ does not live within us. Whoa. Now, the minute they said righteousness is both imputed and infused, this is a theological category that is not, I guess, I don't know where you place this theological category. Now, I think what they mean is righteousness is imputed and Christ dwells in us. Well, I do believe righteousness is imputed and I do believe that we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. I do believe that. But I would never say righteousness is infused because that is a that is a specific Roman Catholic teaching that and, and any agreement with that you just as well go back to the Roman Catholic system of sal- of justification or salvation. I mean it's all a process, but that begins with an infused righteousness, a washing away of original sin, infused with righteousness. You cooperate with that righteousness, and then on and on and on and on. I think what he means is that. Righteousness is imputed, but Christ indwells. I do believe Christ indwells. I I am indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Now, what we want to do is because we have that Holy Spirit, well, then we should have all of this ability. And again, I, I would say, is the Holy Spirit there to give me these abilities? Because here's what I know. Here's what I know. 2,000 years of church history, Holy Spirit indwelling believers, and 2,000 years of division, fighting, arguing, sin of every imaginable kind inside the church. If I've been a Christian since I've been a teenager and dwelt with the Holy Spirit. I've sinned constantly my whole Christian life and everyone else listening, you have as well. And Christians for 2000 years have struggled to explain this. Everyone has their explanations. Well, you lost your salvation. One or two, you were never saved. Three, we've been, we've been talking about it this week. You could be demon uh, uh, oppressed or there's some demon inside of you. It needs to be exercised. It needs to be eliminated from you. We talked about that and because of a new documentary. 
I mean, uh, Christians have constantly come up with, with ways to try to explain the ongoing sin inside a Christian. And I think a logical question, if God, and I do believe I'm indwelt by the Holy Spirit because scripture seems to clearly teach that, but it is baffling. And I think, I think all Christians, I think we can just be honest. If God's living in me, how come he can't get rid of all the sin? It seems that in God's salvation, the intent was never to get rid of the sin in me practically until glorification, but to declare me righteous because by faith because of an imputed righteousness. The reality of sin is just the reality. I don't like, I like, I don't want it to be there. Man, I wish every thought was pure. Every motive was wonderful. But I'd be a liar to claim that. I'd be a liar to just clean up the outside of the tomb and say, look at me. I'm pious. I'm, look at the piety. Look at my godliness. I mean, I say it all the time. I'm just a sinner in front of a microphone. And I mean that. But you're just a sinner listening to me with headphones or listening to me on your phone. The thing is, I just wish Christians could be more open and honest with how our own frailty, our own weakness, and our own sin. But it seems that these discussions never want to talk about embracing the reality of what we are. I'm not saying excusing it, but embracing what we are, weak sinners. And it always turns instead to making an argument for some kind of power, some kind of power. But theologically, I would never say we're infused with righteousness because that's a complete denial. I mean, that's why the Confessions of Faith, Westminster, London Baptist, most all Protestant documents, especially after the Reformation, made it very, and and then if you go to like, say, the Council of Trent, I mean, imputed righteousness is anathematized. So we clear, clearly we would never say righteousness is infused. I, I know, I know what you mean. So I want to make it very clear. I disagree with infused righteousness. I do agree. Christ dwells inside of us and the person of the Holy, the Holy Spirit indwells us and Christ is present in, in the person because of the Holy Spirit. One God, three distinct persons. You get the idea. Right, but I, so I, I definitely, I definitely agree with that. And some people say, so, so that means there should be fruit. Well, I, the Bible does talk about spiritual fruit. You say, well, how does that work? I, look, I, I don't, I, there's no way to measure it. I just know that I could even have what appears to be fruit and that fruit be corrupted and that fruit not be as good as it appears to be because of sin and dwelling in me. I want to, I want to do what I can, prayer, Bible study. I want to do the spiritual disciplines to try to grow in grace, to try to move forward. I mean, I, I people sometimes think, seems to think when I talk this way that I'm just like, hey, everyone, just do what you want. No, I know we're called to try to pursue godliness. I know we are. But it's just, I just wish there could be more of just like, hey, guys, come on. We all fall short here. We're all a mess. Um, okay, we're not going to get to the, I'm just going to read the second one. Now I responded briefly, um, and I can't remember my exact words in my response, but basically, Hey, look, um, just, we need to try to make sure I, I just need to know which way you're approaching this. Are you approaching this from a, 
Catholic perspective because the fact that they said it was infused, I thought, well, oh, that's Catholic. So am I, if I'm arguing with a Catholic, then we're, we got, I mean, we've got so many other issues to deal with. But, um, so I kind of questioned that and I, and I basically said, I'm just trying to understand and thank you. And, you know, it was just like, a, and I, I will try to respond to this in a live broadcast, which is what I'm doing now. But then they responded to that with this, uh, theology central. All right. Should be interesting. So uh, that's good. Uh, they, they seemed, they seemed to be happy that I said I would respond. Just to be clear, I think I would stand with you in that a Christian is not somehow necessarily bound to produce fruit. Scripture illustrates that for us, in the depiction of a man who is saved through fire and has all his works burned up, and that talks about in, in, in Corinthians, the judgment where all the works are burned up, but the person is saved, in a sense, through fire, by fire. Well, I do believe that well, all everything can burn up and I would still be saved. Why? Because I'm saved. My works don't save me. The works of Christ saves me and they are perfect and they can't burn up. My righteousness doesn't save me. Christ's righteousness saves me. Not only that, if you see sin in my life, my sin can't be the thing that proves I'm not saved because Christ paid for all my sins. He paid and died for all of them. So we seem to be in agreement there. And there are indeed people who are a strange blend of free grace and lordship salvation. And it can be confusing how people harmonize these things. Once again, we're in agreement. It, and you know why it's confusing to harmonize these things? Because we've been trying to harmonize them for 2,000 years. And all it's led to is different denominations, different systematic theologies, and fighting and fighting and fighting and fighting. People leaving your church because... You call into question how much supposed power people, I'm done, and they leave, and you're just like, okay, well, I mean, it's just, it's just sad. I mean, I, I get, I get discouraged even talking about the whole subject because you're just like, uh, there's just, you can't win on this because no matter what you say, you're going to tick off someone, right? You're either going to tick off the Catholics. Are you going to tick off the lordship people? Are you going to tick off the free grace people? Because everyone breaks off into their gang wearing their colors. And you better, you better stay in line with the gang. You better, you better represent their colors. Or they'll do a theological drive-by on you. Now, this person says, I think there is a great lack of clarity about the word works and what constitutes work salvationist. I have my own harmonization, and I will paste it in for your consideration if it's okay. First of all, I really do appreciate that this person said, hey, I'm on your YouTube page. Is it okay if I hit it with my theological perspective? That was super cool of the person. Very respect. The, what I love about this is yeah, there's some disagreements, but I don't think our disagreements is as much. I, I, I don't really think we're disagreeing that much because basically my approach is you believe you've got some kind of power. Well, fine. I mean, I, I, I'm not going to argue with you. You've got power. Just don't get mad if I'm like, I'm not so sure about that. I mean, because because it should be easy if you've got power. 
And I, and I, for some reason, am missing out on the power or not using the power or not recognizing the power. And I'm cheating myself. You should just be able to demonstrate to me by your own life why I need your power or why I need the power that you possess because you'll be able to blow me out of the water, quote unquote, spiritually speaking. But I've just, I've just been around too many people who claim to have power. I've had, I've had Pentecostals <laughs> tell me, well, one of the, one of the, I mean, this is so long ago, so I think I can tell the story. When I first became a Christian, I was, I had knew, I knew these Pentecostal girls, right? Um, and I always defended them in school because people were picking on them. And so I kind of became their friend, even though I completely didn't believe in Christianity or anything else. I just like, hey, guys, don't mess with, if you mess with them, you got to mess with me because you, know, you don't mess with people. Just leave them alone. But after I became a Christian, we then started having all kinds of good theological conversations, right? And these Pentecostal girls basically told me straight up, look, unless you get baptized with the Holy Spirit, you're not going to have power to live out your Christian life. You're going you're to struggle. You need power. So what you need to do is get baptized in the Holy Spirit. And the way you know you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit, you'll speak in tongues. And, until, and you need to be baptized in Jesus' name. They basically said my baptism was not valid because it wasn't in Jesus' name. It was in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So I needed to be baptized in Jesus' name. I needed to seek the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And that would be evidenced by speaking in tongues. And then I would have a power. I would have power to live out the Christian life. I could do it. Okay. I never did what they said to do. I thought their whole theology was crazy. But let me just say, without going into too much detail, they obviously didn't have much power either because there was some serious sin going on. I mean, I, I, I'm not going to get more blunt than that, but let's just say it, was became, it became very clear that there was something going on and it became evident. It became, it became clearly known. It wasn't like some secret. And you're like, well, what happened to all that power? What, what, happened to the, what, what happened to the power? The power, the power, the power, the power. And then if it wasn't, if it wasn't Pentecostals, then it was charismatics of other, of other forms of charis, char, in the charismatic world. You need power. Then it was other, other people that you need power. You need power. It, it, it was within the independent fundamental Baptist. You need the power. You need power. And if you believe in God, we've been given the power and you just got to rely on that power. And, 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 and everyone always claims about, now you've been set free from sin and you can do it. And you, and over and over and over, you would just like, well, you're you're having all the same kinds of struggles I am and same kind of problems. Now, many of them did not commit the same kind of sins I committed. They may have looked more godly because they didn't commit the sins I commit. But guess what? They had plenty in their life. Like a love and deceit and deception and hatred and vengeance and backbiting and gossip and slander. So I'm, I, I'm more than comfortable by saying, okay, I just don't have the, I don't have that power. That's fine. I don't have that power. I don't have it. I don't have that ability. And it freaks people out. I don't know why it, it I don't know why it causes so much turmoil. Like people are like, no, you got to believe there's power. What, why? What do I have to believe it? If you want to believe it, believe it. Go, go do it. All I ask is be honest about the fact that 
Those who say we have power, almost without fail, there may be some out there who don't, they all acknowledge it's not good enough to get us to perfection. It's not good enough to get us to complete holiness. It's not, it's not good enough to keep us from all sin. So we need to acknowledge that right from the start. Because then you don't create a mindset where everyone's up there trying to clean up the outside of the tomb, hiding all the dirt, because they're supposed to have power not to be committing the dirt. They're, 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 supposed, to be, they're supposed to be clean. And it creates a false narrative. It creates us being pious and, and, and putting on pretense and, and, and playing, playing something that we're not. I would rather it be like, you know, and, and just be, if you say you have power, just be honest. There's some measure of power, but we don't know exactly. I mean, it's limited and, but I mean, something can happen. Okay. Well, great. That's fine. Just, just be honest with what it can and cannot do. So the only difference here is you're very much convinced in the power. And I'm like, great, fine. More power, more, no pun intended, more power to you. And here's what I know. If God has got some power or something going on in my life and you just have that because of salvation, right? It's just like you don't have to do anything to get it. It's just there. Well, then guess what? Whether I believe, whether I believe it's there or under, it's there and it will do whatever it's going to do, right? Or are you saying, no, 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 no. It won't work unless you believe that it works. Okay, well now, well then I, I will trust that the power in me will overcome my questioning of its existence. Now, after this, the person posted their way of harmonizing all of this. But it's one hour into this. And we're going to have to stop there. I am going to post this in the Law and Gospel series because it very much relates to a message in the Law and Gospel series. And it's just this more struggling with it. I, I, I just, I, I think a lot of people so misunderstand me. Like, I'm just like, yeah, fine. You think you got power? Great. I just know that you have to acknowledge the power is limited. So we're going to fight over a supposed limited amount of power that won't make me perfect, won't make me holy, but supposedly it does something. Someone just said, thank you. I hope so. I hope so. Uh, now that I've gone an hour, I feel like, what, am I really accomplishing anything? But I think people struggle with these issues. I think there's a lot of people who struggle with these issues. They just have to believe that there's a power. And I just don't understand, like, I don't know, like, okay. Like, I, I, like, I don't know how to respond to it other than like, okay, well then great. Go, 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 go. And I'm just kind of like, I don't, I, I don't know how it works. I just know this, whatever power I'm supposedly have, it's obviously limited. And again, I've seen, I've seen more righteous, I've seen sometimes more godly Muslims or more godly Mormons. And when I say more godly, more godly in the sense of just external righteousness. Obviously, internally, they're just as sinful as everyone else. They have a sinful nature and their good works are corrupted by sin, just like all the Christians' good works are corrupted by sin, because we all have a depraved nature and we will all have a depraved nature, speaking of Christians, all the way until glorification. And then it will be removed. So I don't know. I'll stop there. You can email me your disagreements. Newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. And I promise sometime tomorrow, 
We will try to continue, and we will read the next very, 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 very long paragraph. <laughs> it's a small book where they try to harmonize all of these issues into their system. But we know that whatever system they have, there's 50 other systems out there that would say that, and that's just the frustrating thing about it. All right, thanks for listening. Everyone have a wonderful night. It's now 11.03 p.m. Central Time. And now I'm going to figure out what to do for the rest of the night. All right. Thanks for listening. And to the person listening, thank you so very much. I really appreciate it. They're always uh, encouraging uh, to me, and I appreciate it. And I needed a little bit of encouragement today because the first thing I did today was 45 minutes, and I deleted it. <laughs> so, so this person has been very helpful. So thank you. All right. Everyone have a great night. God bless.